I will say my second day of life, the doctor came in and told my mom, hey, your son has a dwarfism. We don't know what's going on with him, but he's never going to run. He's never going to ride a bicycle. He's never going to be physically active like any other kid. So uh, there you go. Got to got to run. And my parents are like, what? If you're a person who's heard the word no from a boss, an ex, a team that cut you, a job market that didn't want you, an accident or diagnosis that left you debilitated and depressed, or felt paralyzed by any setback that you just weren't willing to accept, this is the show for you. Because it'll teach you what my dad always taught me, that failure is just opportunity in disguise. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. Welcome back to 10,000 Knows. Today's guest is Christoph Zajac Denick, and he has done a lot with his life. He's an avid surfer. He's won awards and contests. Uh, he's played the drums in a rock band across the U.S. and Europe, touring with artists like Iggy Pop and many others. He is pursuing a career in Hollywood as an actor, and he's making an impact on lives with his relatively new podcast, I'm Kind of a Big Deal. Here's the catch. Christoph was born with a rare form of dwarfism. And to listen to this man talk about how he has pivoted, how he has dealt with challenges more than the average person and kept a positive attitude, been able to uh, defy the odds. It's really incredible. It's right up 10,000 Nose Alley. So I'm so happy. I want to give a shout out to our mutual friend who surfs with Christoph and told me about him, uh, Doug Silberberg. They surfed together in Malibu and Doug texted me and said, you got to talk to this guy. He's really cool. He's a great surfer and he has this podcast and he has these challenges and you would never know that he had so many challenges because he has just overcome them all. So really excited to bring it to you. Okay. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to tell you about something that could be super helpful to you. If you're like me and really all of the guests that you listen to on this show, and you're in a field that doesn't have a straightforward path to success. You know, you can't just go A to B to get there. This really applies to you. It's called the 10,000 Knows Insiders Community. I launched it at the beginning of this year, and this is why I did it. Tons of people had been writing into the show. Uh, you know, they'd say thank you. They were talking about how great the guests were, telling me how it's helped them, inspired them, got them focused, all that stuff, which was awesome. But all the messages had this kind of now what quality to them. Like, what do I do with all this information? How do I apply it to my life specifically? Is there someone I can talk to? I'd love to coach with you, but I don't think I can afford it. But I need someone that can keep me on track. So this is what I came up with. It's a safe place. It's private. So you're not getting bombarded by haters. It's affordable because I know what it's like when you're starting out or even if you've been on the path for over a decade. It's rough out there if you're on a creative journey. I mean, even Kevin Bacon said that to me on this show. And it's all people in a similar situation to yours, looking for not just encouragement, which I give a ton of, but also accountability. Someone to say, hey, what did you actually do 
this week to move yourself closer to your goal. Because trust me, it is so easy to get lost. If you're an actor, writer, musician, entrepreneur, it's so easy to listen to one of these interviews, get all fired up, you beat your chest, and then watch all that inspiration deflate right out of you because you're worried about paying your bills or keeping your table waiting job, whatever. You just, you feel all alone. Trust me, I have been there more than I care to admit. Join the Insiders community. You get a live hour to an hour and a half Zoom with me every week, no BS. And then every month I bring in a VIP friend of mine, many times past guests, someone who's going to come in with a specific area of expertise that can actually help you and lead the conversation with me. But it's not cookie cutter. We just, we really get into it. Sometimes that means specific business strategies. It could be about mindset and approach. But what you're getting is people who are outside of your personal domain, keeping you accountable. So you actually do the things that need to be done to not only succeed in a competitive field, but to keep your soul intact while doing so. If this sounds like something that's up your alley, you can find more details by clicking the link in the show notes or just going to 10,000nos.com and clicking the tab for Insiders Community at the top of the homepage. If it's not for you, no harm, no foul, I will now shut up and bring you today's guest. I started my show, um, it's called I'm Kind of a Big Deal. Uh, Initially, I started it because my life has been crazy and I've experienced a lot of different things. And I've had all these interests from playing drums and touring the US and Europe in a rock and roll band and then moving to Hollywood and getting to get some jobs. And I I came to Hollywood because I wanted to play music and, you know, acting and stunt work kind of happened. So there are all these stories that go along with that. And, you know, you see the peaks and then in between the cracks, there are all these like little rivers that are like, what the heck is going on right now? And so a friend of mine uh, who had also started a podcast really encouraged me. And she's like, you have a great story. People should hear this. People should know about what's going on. And so for the first couple episodes, it was, you know, her and I talking about my life and what I've done and stuff. And then I shared a little bit of my show with another friend who does have dwarfism. And she said, why do I just identify with all of these things that you're saying? Why am I resonating with all of the struggles that you're talking about and not wanting to accept yourself as someone with dwarfism and not wanting to be around any other people with dwarfism, even though you look or experience similar situations. Um, it w- it it just hit me, you know, like in the face and just, I thought, well, th- this is the thing. I, I really want to share other people's stories because if I'm helping my friend and she's helping me by saying, Oh, I resonate with these experiences. This, you know, I, I didn't see the vision right away. I'm kind of slow with seeing visions sometimes, but you know, i I could feel that. And I knew that that was an important thing. And, you know, I don't want to talk about myself all the time on a show. Jeez, what am I going to do? Like three and a half episodes and then <laughs> run out of ideas. So, uh, you know, that's what it was. Let's, let's turn the the light. Let's turn the focus and highlight little people. There are so few resources where you can actually talk about dwarfism in, in a real manner and not, you know, have it be dramatic in a really fake way or have it be salacious or just, you know, risque or 
you know, that does, and, and when you watch those experiences, I don't know that you really want to approach a little person. Like maybe you still want to take a photo with them because, oh my God, there's a little person. Let's, let's capture this moment because we don't know when it's going to happen again. Like, and so I, I just feel like, you know, at my age and after going through my experiences, let's talk about it. Let's put it on the table. Let's laugh about it. I don't want it to be a clinical study of dwarfism, you know? Well, that's what I appreciate about it. The tone of it, it's like, you've got a, you've got a light touch and you, you're, you know, constantly making these puns. Like the, there's like the short puns or size puns. I don't know what you'd call them. And so it, it's accessible and I think it's universal. I mean, as I listened to it, I thought, oh, you know, uh, different, different backdrop, but not so unlike uh, 10,000 No's, which is kind of, um, you know, shining a light on the stigma of being rejected and the stigma of not feeling like a success behind closed doors because you don't want to show all of your rejection. So there's a, there, there are definitely parallels um, from, from what I heard. And, and I guess the question is like growing up, was it, was it something that you were constantly aware of or because of the side, like, because comparatively in the beginning, when you're a school kid, I'm assuming you're, you're the same size as other people. And then there gets to be a certain point where they're pulling away in height and, and you're not, did it become an issue? Was it a source of, uh, was there a source of bullying or were people cool about it? Was it all of the above? What was that experience like? Yeah, it's <clears throat> so many little people have that experience and it's, it's all of that stuff. And it happens at different times for people. You know, when I'm, when I was growing up, I was always really active. Um, I will say my second day of life, the doctor came in and told my mom, Hey, your son has a dwarfism. We don't know what's going on with him, but he's never going to run. He's never going to ride a bicycle. He's never going to be physically active like any other kid. So, uh, there you go. Got to, got to run. And my parents are like, what, how, this is, how can you just say this to us? And so they knew that there, there was this obstacle and I would need special care throughout my life. Um, and I received that care, but you know, there are social issues like what you're talking about that come with it because around six, seven, eight, everybody develops differently around those ages. I am staying the same size and other people around me, other kids are shooting up and getting growth spurts. And when you're around your friends, I had, I had a group of friends when I was growing up, like neighborhood kids. And, you know, they just accept you. Well, they ask a question and then you say, well, I don't know. I'm just like, I'm just short or whatever. Or they see you every single day. And, you know, through that regularity, you don't notice such a huge difference. But kids in school, when, you know, they would shoot up over the summer and then I would be the same size in the fall, it's noticeable. And especially when you run into kids that you don't know or have no experience with, and you're out in the wild in the grocery store or the department store. You know, I remember when I was with my mom, there were times when I wanted to, I not wanted to, but I actually did hide under clothes racks because I didn't, I wanted to escape the bullying. You know, I knew that there was somebody there and I would just run away and hide for a while. And you know, that takes its mental toll eventually because all that stuff kind of piles up. And if you don't deal with it 
properly, which I never really did for a really long time, um, it, it makes a difference and it impacts your, your life. And all of those, all of those things are, they're just things that little people have to deal with, you know, in some form or another, I, there's, there's photos that are taken. People are saying, Oh, look, there's a midget. Um, or, I mean, adults have even said this stuff to me. They'll point at me from across the aisle in a store and laugh. I've been laughed at to my face. Yes, it happens. And I mean, it's not every single day that I go out, but you know, it should be known that we can hear you and we can see what you're doing. And it it doesn't, it doesn't feel good. And it is a tough thing to, to get over and process. And we all process it in our different ways. Um, But it takes a lot of mental power to do that. It's unbelievable that that happens, but it, I mean, I mean, it's not unbelievable. What am I saying? It's very believable, but it's, uh, it's, it's kind of eye-opening that that an adult, especially, would point and laugh. Um, quickly, we don't have to go on a huge tangent, but could you talk about the evolution of that word "midget" versus "little people," which I think is the accepted version of it? But when when, when did that? Um, what's the kind of the what's the word etymology of that? Like how, how did that come about and how did that affect you? And and when did that like switch over? Because sure. I feel like that was that, was that ever politically correct? Was it ever acceptable that word? Yeah, it was. Um, when I was, so midge, uh, the definition of midge is a sand flea. So midget is likening people to a oh tiny God. insect. Um, midget was used, a lot. And I think that's, I, I don't have all the history around it, but I, I believe, you know, it started in the circus days and little people as professions were working in a circus acts. And so they were called midgets because colloquially or whatever, I don't know how it happened, but we were likened to insects and, um, and it, it, it kind of stuck. And if you look it up now, uh, um, a dwarf is someone who quote unquote doesn't look proportionate, but a midget is a short statured proportionate looking individual. I don't know, uh, like where, so it's that- still accepted to some, for don't, some people. Don't it doesn't sound it. like, I mean, <laughs> no, I, I can't, I'm so um, glad I asked because I was, I was like, I, I did not know that version of it, but that's, yeah, you know, Horrible. Yes. So it's, um, it, it has a bad history and people find it offensive. But when, when I was born, um, the doctors were using it as a medical term, you know, and that was 40 years ago or so. So it's, you know, it's still around. I mean, I still see it in TV shows and comedy, um, bits and, and stuff like that. And it's, it's, it's really sad because it's the last, you know, portion of society that's still it's like accepted that you can make fun of a little person you know we're yeah we're we're not going to come after you and and we're not a threat and so therefore i think calling us this name you know you're pretty safe you know you're not gonna nothing's right. really gonna happen to you right well let, let me ask you my the the tagline on this podcast is failure is opportunity so you talked about you know uh being objectified, being laughed at, growing up with that, where you said it kind of piles up and piles up. Um, you have accomplished 
so much in your life. How do you think this, your stature has contributed to all of your success? Do you feel like you are, um, have been successful and have accomplished so much in spite of this or almost because of it, because it's, it's ingrained some kind of, um, some kind of work ethic, some kind of, uh, belief, self-belief. What, how, what's your relationship to that? Um, I do feel like I have achieved, uh, stuff because I've had to, and I've had this drive. My, it, it's, stemmed from my parents. Both of my parents are very motivated individuals. They're very headstrong and and they go for what they want. And so that was always instilled in me. And as a child, I was never told no. You know, I, I had very frank discussions with my parents at six years old before I had my first reconstructive leg surgery. You know, it's, I, I've, I've been in doctor's offices since I was two, having quote unquote, what I like into uh, business meetings for my health and scrutinizing my skeleton and looking at x-rays and stuff like that and planning out operations. So there's always been this, this motivation to, I, I don't want to say it's seize the day. Um, there is some of that, but it also is do what Christoph wants, you know, do what, do what I want, because I understand that other people don't understand and that's fine. It's been fine. Anyway, I, I want to change the, the, it's fine because I, with my podcast, I'm trying to move towards, no, let's, you need to understand, like, just take a moment and check this out. But yeah, it's, I've had a lot of self-motivation. I have traveled by myself. I do a ton of things by myself and I have incredible experiences from it. And there's a cycle when you have a really great experience that from doing something by yourself, you want to do something else by yourself and see if you have another amazing experience. And that's been me. And so, you know, moving to California, getting into surfing, going to concerts by myself where I've just been able to meet people and um, traveling wherever I, I went to Cuba for a couple of weeks. Like it's just something that I've, I've, I've just always done. And I, I love that about my life. And sometimes it's really lonely and it's really sad to not be able to share that with other people because you can't just unload all of the intimate details and have somebody, uh, get it or feel like they were there. But they're all in me and I appreciate that about myself. And I do, I do love that about myself. And I, you know, there's also been a ton (laughs) of rejection and a ton of things where, okay, yeah, I, I, I can't do this. I can't go skydiving with everybody. I can't, you know, get on a sports team and play with everybody because I have a spinal fusion and I, I physically, I'm unable to do that stuff. So um, Are you the only one in your family and relatives and, and in all of the lineage uh, that ha- was born with dwarfism? Yes, I'm the only so, one so, that my my family knows. Yeah, and uh, cousins, anything. So so how how your parents sound like they you know were taking you to doctors or sound like they were all in on just figuring out solutions? Uh, yep. Do you have siblings? Nope. I'm the only one. Only one. Okay. <laughs> and so that's what I, I love about the podcast is that you're giving, because if, if that's your experience of it, 
how many other people are out there that have the same experience and you're giving this space for people to come together and like you said, swap stories that maybe, you know, I can hear your story and I can comprehend it, but I I haven't lived it. And there's a difference. I think there's a difference in what you're giving to people. I just, I think it's really cool that you're doing that because you're giving people, you're giving them a voice. You're giving them a forum to go, oh, wow, these people, there are other people out there in the same boat. Um, let me ask you about this, the, the, the physical uh, the physical activities, because you said early on, the doctor said, you will not be able to do this, this, ride a bike, all this stuff. You're surfing. I mean, like you won. <laughs> I read somewhere, um, I think it might have been in your bio, uh, you you won an adaptive surfing competition in 2019. So that's that's, you know, two years ago and you were born landlocked in Michigan. <laughs> yes. Um, so you obviously thank, didn't thank learn you for to surf until that up. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So you didn't, it's not like you grew up on the beaches. Um, that's pretty amazing. How, like, how much did you defy the odds there? Does your doctor hear that and, and go, that's crazy. <clears throat> like this is, this is not supposed to be, have you, have you broken the mold? Um, I, I don't know that I've broken the mold, but I like to not just live in the mold. Um, the doctor that I saw at, that I started to see it too was an absolute genius and he performed two reconstructive leg surgeries and then sent me to another, uh, specialist to perform a spinal fusion. So my back is fused from T1 to L4. I have two rods attached to my spine with hooks. Um, and so I don't bend and, twisting, playing baseball or anything like that. It doesn't, it doesn't happen. So, you know, I'm very conscious about my body. I'm very careful. Um, and surfing is, it's always been a huge love. I, I think the first time I got on a surfboard, I was 15 years old in Florida and I got swept down the beach in some terrible ocean current and was so scared. And my mom was freaking out on the beach and I couldn't catch a wave and I could not get into the shore. Um, but I, I loved it and I just wanted to get back out there. It was so cool. Um, you know, determination and just love of that and, and knowing, you know, that's also the same thing. If I were to just that kind of goes along with the the lonely part and the part where it's like, okay, well, I can go hang out with my friends and who don't surf and have an amazing, lovely time. Or I can put myself in a situation where um, there were some scary days at that competition, actually. <laughs> it was kind of gnarly. But, you know, I can stretch myself and put myself out there and, and, and do it. And, you know, when I'm thinking about myself and I'm walking around and I'm entering surfing competitions or these other things, I don't really think of myself as a little person. I'm around myself too much to think of myself as such. Um, and, and I just think, well, can I do that? Do I want to do that? Yeah, I want to do that because that's who I am. And I'll be upset with myself if I don't try it. And that's actually how I got started into drumming. I graduated from college and couldn't get a job in my, in my field. And I asked myself, you know, if I don't try to play drums in a band, will I be upset with myself at 40? 
And the answer was, yeah, I'm going to be upset with myself. So I practiced my butt off and did everything I could to play in bands. And it's kind of the same thing. Like I, I've, I've just been in that headspace and that, and that mantra. And, um, it's, uh, I have something too, that I, I will share with you at the end. Cause I know you asked three questions. I think you still do that on, on your thing. So I, I have, I do, I have a great, I have a great one. It's a little bit heady, but it, that's, it kind of uh, centers the entire thing that I'm talking about. But, um, I, yeah, I just, I see stuff and I don't, I, I want to do it if I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of people want to do it if they love it, but they don't end up touring around the U S and Europe uh, after saying that, like, that's, that's, what's crazy. It's like, you know, you not only said you want to do it, you'll regret it at 40, but you did it. And you've played with some huge uh, musicians and you've, you've traveled all around the place, uh, you know, around the world, really. Um, it's, I want to I want to go back to the surfing and ask you something because I, I was yeah. listening recently. To, you can always go back to the surfing. With yeah, me, yeah. No, I, I, I was listening down. to I was listening to Eckhart Tolle, and I don't know if you know him, but he does like the Power of Now, and yeah. he's all about kind of being in the moment. And yes. he was he was talking about he was talking about activities in general, but he brought up surfing and he, mm-hmm. you know, if you've, if you've seen him, he's, I don't think he's a surfer. He doesn't, he seems, it seems like the antithesis of a surfer, but he brought up surfing and he said, you know, people are out there. Um, they, there's a feeling of being in nature. There's a feeling of, you know, when you're on a wave, you have to be in the moment. And his whole philosophy is that, the future doesn't really exist. The past doesn't really exist, except in your mind. All we have is the present moment. And he says, that's kind of the the addiction to, you know, whether it's surfing or skydiving or anything like that, that you you have to be in the moment to be able to execute. And so people are drawn to those activities because they the, the, the chatter in their head goes away for that moment when you're on a wave. Mm -hmm. Do you find that too? Does that pertain to you and your love of surfing in some way? Is it, uh, what's the, what's the best aspect of surfing to you? Yeah, that I love the power of now. I read that book a couple of years ago and it's, uh, it's, it's life-changing and it applies so much to surfing. And to me, surfing applies so much to life, especially my life. Yes. When you're in, the moment and you're on a wave, the ocean is very noisy and there are people around, but when you're on a wave, I can't remember hearing the ocean at all. I remember seeing like the, the gold in the morning when it's, when the sun is coming up and it's reflecting off the water. And I remember seeing the curl and how I need to maneuver on my board, but you are so focused and you are so in the moment that everything else is, is shut out. And I think that's, I think that's so important for the brain, for my brain anyway, I don't know about anybody else's brain, but for mine, it's, it's so great because it just connects me with nature. It connects me with the moment. It connects me with the, the challenge in front of me of riding the wave properly and getting through a section or slowing down so I can get back in the pocket and the, the power source. Um, I, I, I can't stop surfing. I've been hopelessly 
addicted to surfing since I was in my mother's basement. Um, that's, that's not my mom's womb. That's, this is when I'm 14 and I was addicted in my mother's basement in the house. Um, it's, it's such an, it's such an amazing feeling and to call it an amazing feeling, I feel just cheapens calling it that it's, um, it's just, it's really important to me. And I think that also it relates to having dwarfism because you have to react to all of the situations around you. And I guess you want to do that with as much grace as possible. But honestly, if you're going to get to the end of the wave of dwarfism, you have to be able to react to so many situations that are thrown at you. And it's, it's so important to approach them with as much peace and clarity and focus as you possibly can, because you're really, you're going home with yourself afterward, you know, and that's the most important thing is you got to be happy with yourself and be able to somehow accept yourself in whatever way that that is. And I feel like that that's what happens on a wave in, in so many ways. It's, I'm doing a terrible job of describing it because it, there's, there's just so many colors to it, you know, and there's so many, there's uh, so many aspects to that whole situation. And um, it, I think that's the point though, that words don't necessarily describe it's, it's beyond, you know, whether it's surfing or I want to ask you about drumming in front, because I heard you say something on your podcast about um, you said that you were, uh, you were thinking about talking when you were starting out, you were thinking about, I don't know if I want to talk and, and I'm going to get nervous talking in front of people on the podcast. <laughs> and yet you could go drum in front of 15,000 people and not break a sweat. You yeah. know, it was no big deal. It, did it have that same aspect of being in the moment and feeling like you were um, almost uh, otherworldly when you were drumming? Yeah, it, it, it does. Um, the band that I toured with, I had to pay very close attention to the other members. Um, we, we weren't using backing tracks and stuff like that. So it was a very live visceral in the moment, leave everything on the stage type of experience. And so I, I couldn't just, you know, not watch anybody and, um, and, and just play the set because things were, things were yelled out to me that, you know, were like, oh, we're on this path. Nope. We're not going down that path anymore. We're doing a big turn and we're going in a different direction because, uh, you know, there was an audible called, which I loved because I got to always be in the moment and always watch somebody's just body movements and, you know, cues and stuff like that. And it, it never, I only, I only had a few moments when I was on stage, when I could look out to the crowd and take it in and be like, yeah, this is cool because I was just always watching my bandmates and I was always making sure that I was playing what I needed to play or that I knew what the next direction was. And I loved that. It made me feel like I, I was a huge supporter in that role. And I think that's what, um, I like that. I like that feeling a lot. It's very similar to the way you describe being on a wave and having to slow down, speed up, you know, find the pocket. Um, Absolutely. Uh, but the I other thing is too, that I, that I will say when I'm on stage, I'm covered by the drum set, right? 
a lot of me is not seen because I have a bass drum and other drums in front of me. And the drum set that I played was, it was slightly smaller. It wasn't a kid's drum set. A, a lot of, it was like a jazz drum set, but I tuned it down so that it was sounded big and loud for rock and roll. Um, when you looked at me behind the drum kit, many people didn't see that I was little. <clears throat> Although it is funny because I played drums on the Ellen DeGeneres show with a nine-year-old prodigy guitarist and the video ended up on YouTube and I found it and I was, I don't know, this was 12 years ago and I was scrolling through the comments and they were all super supportive. And then there was one that was, that said, oh my gosh, is that a midget on the drums? And I was like, dang, you can see that? Like, man. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Well, you're talking about <clears throat> pivoting and adjusting and being alive to what's coming at you. Um, one thing I know, and it's kind of ironic on this show that's called 10,000 No's, and I have a lot of actors on this show that, that come in and talk about, you know, they're really, um, you know, myself included, you're, you're, you know, there's a very definite goal and you're told no and you're 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 not allowed to do it. You, you know, it's hard to find work and all that stuff. Um, you came out to L.A., to pursue music and acting pursued you. It sounds like it found you, which is ironic here. Uh, you know, talk to me about how you, um, how you reacted to that. Were you bummed that the music was the music not really accepting you? And then all of a sudden the acting rushed in and you're like, all right, I'll take this wave. I'll, I'll, I'll go this way. How'd that, how'd that work out? 100%. That's exactly what it was. I came here to play music. I was just auditioning for as many bands as I possibly could. I received no from all of them. And then I found this Craigslist post that said, um, looking for a backing band for my artist. And I talked to the guy. It turns out it's this Japanese, this young Japanese prodigy. And one of my best friends is also a bass player who happens to be Japanese and can speak Japanese. And I booked us this gig, you know, the guy was like, Hey, you're the, the only guy who wasn't a total jerk on the phone. Um, we want to book you. And it turned out to be us playing the Ellen DeGeneres show and the will turn for Lebowski. We opened up for Lebowski festival and wow. a couple other gigs. And three weeks later, universal pictures called me and said, Hey, we want to hire a stand-in for a CGI alien character. We want to move you to New Mexico for three months over the summer and put you up and pay you and everything like that. And I, I got excited because I had zero money and I'm like, okay, I need a job. Like that would be great, but it wasn't music. And so I called a buddy of mine, Butch Norton, who plays drums for Lucinda Williams. And I said, Butch, I got this opportunity to, to go work, but it's not music. And, uh, you know, it's over the summer and stuff and I'm not going to be in LA and everything. And he said, are you stupid? Like, what's wrong with you? Like he's in the most loving way. He's like, man, a gig is a gig. Go take this gig and make some money and have a good time in New Mexico. LA is not going anywhere. Just do this and come back. I know you're broke. Like do it. Come on. I'm like, all right, you're probably right. So I went and did it and the experience changed my life. And it was so fun. I mean, I, I, I have a degree in production, so I knew a lot of the ins and outs, but I've never seen it in action. And 
<laughs> my first day on set, I was working on a Simon Pegg, Nick Frost film. Simon and Nick came up to me while I was standing in and they shook my hand and said, thank you so much for being with us for the summer. We're really excited to have you. And I'm like, what? This is so weird. Why are you guys talking to me right now? And they were just, they were so sweet. And that was, that set the tone for the summer. I had the best summer working with this, with these people. And, um, I was the only little person on the show. Um, and I, I got to see every single department and become friends with everyone. And it was the greatest experience. Every time May and June rolls around, I'm like, oh yeah, Paul, like this is the season of Paul. That was so great. So that was my first big gig. Before that, a couple months before that, I worked on my first gig with a number of little people. Brad Williams was on the show um, and a couple other uh, uh, LPs in the in the community in the entertainment world in LA. Before that, I knew one other little person. I'm 30 at this age. I've kept all little people at arm's length or further away from me in my entire life. Don't want to associate with you. Don't come up to me. I know that you don't want to come up to me either. Let's not talk because if two people see us, they're going to be like, oh, damn, I just saw two little people and not just one. And this is like crazy. So we all know that shame that's there. And I was not mature enough to get over it and accept people for just people, people who look like me. I didn't want to be around them at all. And so I got thrown into this production with 11 little people and I'm like, all right, this is, you know, I can handle this. It's only two days. Like, this is kind of weird, but whatever. And I, I got through it. And that, I made friends on that show, which was so cool. To this day, for good lasting friendships with amazing people. And that was the little, that was a little nudge on the door that like, oh, there's a little crack here. Let's, let's see where this light's coming from. Still was not totally 100% accepted. Still wanted to play music. So I got back from Paul uh, at the end of that summer. And I was like, man, I don't want to, I want to play music. I want to play music. So cut to a year later, I moved back home to Michigan to go to music school in Detroit, Michigan. I left Hollywood. I just like, I'm gone. See ya. I'm going to go play drums with all my friends in Detroit because they went to this school and they're making a living playing music. And that's what I want to do. And then I started, I hated school actually. And the woman who got me the account or uh, got me the role on Paul, she got the account to cast for this movie shooting in Michigan called Oz the Great and Powerful. And she called me up one day and she said, Hey, I know you're in Detroit. You're the only little person I know in Detroit you want to work on a movie? And I'm like, yeah, I hate school. Let's do this. I want to make some money and, and work on a show. And I did stunts on that show. I worked for five months on Oz the Great Holy and Powerful. Talk about your destiny finding you. I yeah, mean, so it crazy. sought you out in Michigan. <laughs> I know. Unbelievable. And, and she said, okay, I need 50 more little people. And I said, I know, I know one. <laughs> All I can do, I can give you the number for one of them. And I gave her the number of my friend Casey and Casey knew a lot of other little people. She was much more accepting of little people in her youth than, than I was into my thirties. And, and that's where I got so comfortable and so accepting of myself and other little people on Oz the Great and Powerful. I worked with 50 other little people and we're all dressed up like idiots and you know, it's crazy long days and we're doing stunts and 
talking about dumb stuff and you just hang out for months and months. And uh, I mean, I love all those people. They're so great. They're so lovely. They all have such unique challenges and such unique successes and things that they've overcome. And they all, that all makes a person, you know, that all, that all contributes to your constitution and who you are. And that just all came to the surface and it, it showed through and it was such a beautiful time. So that's so cool. What, what's the, where are you right now? Like, what's the number one thing on your plate? The podcast sounds like it's big. It sounds like music you still may play, but it doesn't sound like that's a focus anymore. Um, is acting the main focus? What, where are you current day? What, what's your kind of next step or current step? The, the podcast is the main work at the moment. I actually just, uh, I've been guesting on, you're the fifth, uh, guesting spot I've had this week on podcasts. Oh my God. Um, that whole world has kind of taken over for me and I'm, uh, there's, I'm getting noticed a little bit. I'm getting beautiful messages from people saying, you know, thank you so much. I have folks calling me up saying, Hey, I want to be a guest. I want to share my story. And I'm thinking, this is so cool. I absolutely love this, that people want to talk to me and want to put it out there because that really is the thing. You don't get more comfortable as a little person talking about being a little person unless people around you also feel comfortable talking about being a little person. And so I'm, I'm just so proud that that's, that's the thing. I still play music. I just played drums on a music video last week, actually. <laughs> and That's I have cool. to, I'm going into the recording studio with another band next week to record some stuff that I did on a kind of mockumentary, rockumentary film that's coming out. Um, and I, I love music. I, I don't want to do six nights a week on the road in a tour bus for three months. Um, I, I love drumming and I want it to just be fun for me. I know those gigs, like maybe I would do that once or twice in my life again, if it were ever to happen. I also physically, I can't be moving drums in and out. So, I mean, you got to have a budget for a roadie and you got to have a bus and stuff like that. Like I, the list of needs for me is too high for just going out and doing it. Um, and acting, I'm into acting, but there's, I've, I've shaved away some of my, um, or I guess, how do I want to state this? The roles have to fit some requirements at this point because I've done so many roles where I'm covered up in makeup and costumes and foam and prosthetics and I've worn everything, you know, and okay, that stuff is fine and it's really cool when you get the opportunity to do that. But this face has only been seen twice without a ton of makeup. And I haven't, I've worked more than twice, you know, and I'm, I'm frustrated with that. I don't like that little people aren't seen as just people. We're animators of foam and we're doubles and we're stunt doubles and we are costume suit performers and stuff. It's like, man, when are you ever going to see like Johnny as the friend or, you know, 
Susie as the woman at the uh, bank. It's like, you've never seen that until, Would you, <laughs> until last fall, there was actually an Amazon commercial that came out that had a, a short statured woman in a holiday commercial, not dressed up like an elf. And it blew my mind. I asked all of my friends, no one who's been in this industry for 30 years has ever seen anything like that. She's just a little person at a house party in an Amazon commercial. It's a 15 second spot. And nobody comments on it. Yeah. Well, I mean, nobody, nobody, I'm saying, I'm saying in the commercial, there's no comment on it. It's just, she's just another, she's a friend party guest. Yeah. Yeah. She got an invite to the party just like everybody else. She's not being paid for being an elf at the party. And I, it's, there, there's some big feelings on both sides. There's some big feelings of, damn, this is so rad. This is so awesome. And also, damn, this is so sad that this is the first time in, in 2020 is the first time you've ever seen a little person just show their face in a corporate commercial in a major let me throw down the gauntlet. Let me throw down the gauntlet to you in, in a public place and say, you should take your podcast and all these people that you're meeting and, um, maybe there's a, uh, you know, maybe there's a project in there where you're the writer, you're the creator, where there's something, and maybe it's not all little people, but there's, there's people, um, like, I'm just thinking like, you're right. It's like, it would be great to have you in a movie, but not really commenting on the fact like, like, yeah, that's a part of your character. Just like, you know, being Italian is a part of my character, but it's like, mm-hmm. so it's whatever it has its pluses and its minuses, but it's not like, that's the whole, uh, you know, it's just a story. It's a story yeah. in which this character, I, I think that's something where I, when I hear like what your mission is right now, that would be really cool because who else to create something meaningful for, uh, for that world than someone who's, who's lived in it and someone who's actually becoming a beacon for other little people. So they're really true stories that are not BS versions of like from, you know, me looking at your life and imagining it and and coming up with some BS Hollywood version. You're going, no, this is, this is the deal. Like I go surfing just like you do, you know, like it's, it's a, it's a little bit different. I'm sure there's just physically different things that happen to unload the boards and all that stuff. But that, that sounds uh, or, or interesting I, to me. I can't reach anything in the bathroom. I can't wash my hands in the bathroom. Or I can't push a door open. Or I can't drive a car. Or like all of these other things. Like, you know, surfing is, is one thing. But there are all these just right. every single day things that show up. I read a book recently by Michelle Sullivan and she tells this story. She's the the first female president of the Caterpillar Foundation, Cat uh, the the construction company. Um so it's their outreach foundation and she's a little person. She tells this story about how she couldn't uh close the the door on the bathroom on an air, uh, airplane ride. Um and a man walked in on her in the middle of things and you know both were embarrassed and you know after they both return to their seats they they end up sitting next to each other and she leans over and says um are you going to remember this day as much as i am and you know it's like these things that 
if you don't have the right attitude, she has an amazing attitude for this. If you don't have that attitude, how are you going to get through it? You know, you're not, not everyone is born with that attitude and you have to kind of, you have to find it in you and, and figure out how that, that works for you. And I think, you know, I, I want to have little people be a focus. I also want us to be seen mingling with average height folks because I right. don't That's want, what I'm saying. Yeah. I don't want it to just be this cosm of just us, you know, because again, you know, that is totally cool. And I'm, I'm, I'm so down with that, but also at the same time, I, I want, my goal is to have a bridge between little people and average height folks. Like say this, this is here cross this and, and, or we'll meet you halfway or whatever, whatever analogy or metaphor that is, you know? Um, Well, I just want to say, I love, I I appreciate so much having you on the show because it also, it, it shines a light for people that are particularly, you know, tuning in for this show because it's 10,000 no's. How do you get over rejection? I just want, and it's a lot of actors and filmmakers and all that. And, and I think it's important for people to hear, you know, you start to hear people in other sectors of the world and you go, huh, I'm complaining about not getting, you know, an audition or it's hard to get whatever it might be. And then I think of what you just said of, you know, imagining loading up the car, loading your drums in for a concert, closing the door on an airplane. I mean, when you think about uh, I'll, I'll say for myself as a, you know, um, I'm actually on the tall side of things, how spoiled we are in terms of, of not even thinking, you know, that's not something that I'm, I'm not thinking about, you know, opening and closing the door. It's not something that crosses my mind because I don't have to deal with it. And mm-hmm. I just, I just want to say thank you for, you know, not only for being here, but for what you're doing with your show, because people need to hear it. Cause, cause a lot of us were really spoiled. We're really like kind of inwardly focused on our own little obstacles in our world and, and not realizing that there's, you know, just, you know, throw a rock. You're going to hit someone with bigger problems than yourself. And, um, and, and, and the, and the fact that you, you do deal with all of these challenges and you're still so, um, graceful. Like you were talking about surfing. It's like graceful. The way you live your life, it's, it's very graceful. Like you, I, I, it does, you don't, the the demeanor of you just sitting here and you look super relaxed and friendly and funny and everything. You don't seem like a guy that's, um, that's, uh, let it weigh you down. And I'm sure there are times when you're alone. I'm sure it does just like the rest of us, but, uh, I appreciate it. And so I just wanted to say thank you. And then I'll get, I, I'm not psyched that you know, these, these final three questions are coming, but Bro, I'm gonna, I've I, listened I to your show, man. Come on now. <laughs> so, so well, uh, the, the, me, the, the first time I listened, I already had, it's, it's, I didn't have exactly planned what I was going to say, but I know exactly what I'm going to say for the second one. If it's the same order that you do it, I may have to trip you up. All no, right. I, all right. Do I, it, man. Give it go, you. You, go for yeah. it. You're going to um, get, you're going to get what I have to say either way, because I really right. want to share it. But, um, whether you ask yeah, it, I, won't, not, I won't trip you up. I asked the same thing. So here, here we go. The word first one, is the word no means what to you? Um, don't take it personally. You know, it's, it, it's just not the right time for them and maybe not for you, even though you're trying to reach out and do it, but take that pivot, 
keep going. And that's what you, what you have done. I mean, your life is an example of that. <laughs> I, piv- um, I pivot on a daily basis. My man, yeah, we all do. <laughs> we all do, but you seem to do it better than most. Uh, um, I don't know. All right. Here's the number two. I wonder if this is the one you were, you were uh, talking about. Um, do you have a, an expression, a uh, group of words, mantra, whatever, <clears throat> when everything goes sideways that gets you through it? Yeah. So this is the one I, in college, I got into jazz and I got into avant-garde jazz, like really messed up, like weird, heavy, cacophonous music, just crazy. And there's an album by Keith Jarrett called The Survivor's Suite. And I bought, I'm, I'm a completist. So if there's one album that I like, I will end up buying multiples or, or you know, I want to hear the whole catalog essentially. And so I got into Keith Jarrett and I bought this record And I was listening to it and there's very little in the liner notes, but there's a quote and it's uncredited. And the quote quote goes, and those that create out of the Holocaust of their own inheritance, anything more than a convenient self-made tomb shall be known as survivors. Let me, let me take that in. Give me that again. And those that take it in and those that create, out of the Holocaust of their own inheritance, anything more than a convenient self-made tomb shall be known as survivors. Okay. So why don't you explain to me and the listeners what that means to you? So I read this and memorized it probably at age 20. Um, I was probably in my mom's basement, just enjoying these jazz records. And I just resonated with that right away because I thought if I just do what I'm supposed to do or fit the mold that my family or my schooling or whatever else I feel is trying to uh, place onto me or trying to fit me into, um, I might not be a survivor. And so that kind of has fueled my fire for bouncing around and playing in a rock and roll band and getting to the point of touring and leaving a rock and roll band that was experiencing success, but finding out that it wasn't right for me at that time. And then moving to Hollywood and taking a job with $7 in my bank account when I know it wasn't exactly what I wanted to do, but the experiences that I learned from it and the relationships that I came away with were more valuable than anything else. And going back to Michigan and having those experiences in Michigan where I was so lonely and living by myself and working complete opposite hours of everyone else so I could hardly ever see my friends. And then coming back to Hollywood and having incredible experiences and such devastating experiences, uh, you know, it's... I, I feel like it just has been there for me my entire life. And I won't claim to be a, a survivor or whatever that the end of that is, because I just feel it's always a process and it's always a journey and you're never there and you just have to keep plugging away and keep doing it. Um, and, you know, I, I, I won't call myself a musician, but I've worked as a drummer and a musician. I won't say, Hey, I'm an actor. 
but I've worked as an actor and I just have to keep working away at all of those things. I am a little person who also has a podcast and wants to share these, these moments of people about people and, and for people. And, you know, I'm never done with it. I just have to keep going after it. Yeah. That's really cool. That's how I took it. And uh, I'll think more on it when we get off, but just that, that you, if you, I was thinking like, if you only create based on the, the Holocaust of your, you know, the, the, what you were in, what you have inherited, you're just surviving within the, the, um, the mold with what that, that you were given. And you're kind of saying like, I don't want to just survive. I want to thrive. I want to break out. I want to go explore. I want to yeah. do all that's, that's how I was, I was taking it. Um, exactly. Last one, last one is if you could give your younger self advice, what age would you intervene and what would the advice be? I think I would intervene in high school, 14, 15, my doctor was having me wear a back brace and I hated wearing this back brace. I was an okay student in high school and I, I wish I would have done better and applied myself more. And I, I don't know, my, my self-confidence was really low in high school and I was very awkward around girls and relationships with, um, women at that time. And so I, I wish I could have given myself the advice of, listen, you're okay. Follow your instincts, work hard and treat your body well. That's great. Christoph, thank <laughs> you so much, man. This, this was really great. Again, shout out to Doug Silberberg for connecting us. Um, uh, I, I'm Thank really you, Doug. happy to have you. Yeah. Really happy to have you on 10,000 nose. Um, this is my you. pleasure, man. This was so fun and you are a great host and interviewer. And thank you so much for having me on the show. What we do here is go back, 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 back. All right. Another great one in the books. Here we go. Top three takeaways. Number one, something can be scary, full of challenges, even life threatening. But if we have a true love for it, we can find a way to pursue it. Got on a surfboard. I was 15 years old in Florida and I got swept down the beach in some terrible ocean current and was so scared. And my mom was freaking out on the beach and I couldn't catch a wave and I could not get into the shore. Um, but I, I loved it and I just wanted to get back out there. It was so cool. Um, you know, determination and just love of that. Number two, get connected to nature and do things that challenge you enough that you're forced to be in the moment. When you're on a wave, I can't remember hearing the ocean at all. I remember seeing like the, the gold in the morning when it's, when the sun is coming up and it's reflecting off the water. And I remember seeing the curl and how I need to maneuver on my board but you are so focused and you are so in the moment that everything else is, is shut out. And I think that's, I think that's so important for the brain, for my brain anyway, I don't know about anybody else's brain, but for mine, it's, it's so great because it just connects me with nature. It connects me with the moment. It connects me with the, the challenge in front of me of riding the wave properly and getting through a section or slowing down so I can get back in the pocket and the, the power source. And number three, don't take it personally. 
and don't be afraid to pivot. Don't take it personally. You know, it's, it, it's just not the right time for them and maybe not for you, even though you're trying to reach out and do it, but take that pivot, keep going. Christoph says he pivots every day, probably more than the average person. But those pivots are what have led him to the point where he has now experienced far more than the average person, despite all of his challenges. The pivots lead us to places we never thought we could go. All right, that's it. Thank you, Christoph. Thank you for listening. If you like this, if you love it, please share it with your friends and family, text it to them, put it on your social media. If you do that, tag at 10,000 knows at Maddie Dell, whatever you can do to spread the word. If you can go to Apple podcasts or wherever you listen and give us a five-star rating and a great review that helps give visibility to the show. So more people can hear these inspirational stories. Uh, remember we've got the Monday morsels every Monday, these shorter solo episodes, and we'll be back here again next Friday. Thank you so much for listening and have a great week. One last reminder, if you liked what I said about the 10,000 Nose Insiders and you want to know more, go to 10,000nose.com slash insiders dash community, or just click the link in the show notes. Take care. Take care.